There was a big court ruling last week here to discuss that. Very special guest, renowned attorney Avi Shik, who filed the lawsuit on behalf of yeshivas, asking the courts to strike down New York State's equivalency restriction guidelines. And Avi's here to discuss that bombshell ruling by Judge Christina Reba, which dealt a major blow to the state education department. Thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. Can you please break down the ruling by Judge Reba and describe how it could potentially impact the state's efforts to force yeshivas to change their curriculums? Sure. So the uh, the ruling by Judge Reba was uh, was really a victory for for the autonomy and the independence of both yeshiva parents and yeshivas. People recall the state education department in the fall enacted regulations that they had released in draft form earlier in the year, and those regulations imposed a whole bunch of requirements on yeshivas, and they contained a a very substantial set of penalties to to force yeshivas to bend to their will. Those penalties included um, the the ability to to close a yeshiva, the right to direct parents to um, unenroll their children from, from a yeshiva, and to uh, to require them to send them elsewhere, and and right. the trigger for all of that would be if the state education department itself said that the secular studies offered at these yeshivas were not substantially equivalent to that of the public school. Of course, the state sets the rules. The state is the judge, and then uh, the state would then <laughs> say, if if we don't like what you do or how you do it, these are the penalties, dear parents. You must move your kids to a different yeshiva, and uh, and and thankfully, Judge Riva. Um, in her decision, it was a 21-page decision issued last week, and what the court said fundamentally was that the compulsory education law, which is the law of the state that you know governs the uh, responsibility to, uh, to to get an education and to learn you know basic requirements, the compulsory education law is directed at parents and not yeshivas, and therefore, and this is a quote, what the court said was that the compulsory education law does not authorize or contemplate the imposition of penalties or other consequences on non-public schools, you know, that may not meet the equivalent standard. So, and and because of that, the court struck from the regulations a provision that said that a yeshiva school, but only yeshivas really at issue, that that um, is found to be um, less than substantially equivalent, is no longer a school under the um, um, uh, under the education law. And therefore, the court said explicitly, you know, they, the state has no authority to tell a parent that they must unenroll their child from, from a yeshiva that's not equivalent. So, so these are very um, important victories on behalf of the yeshiva community, both parents and schools, in preserving their independence and their autonomy. Right. Really interesting. And just to break down exactly what this ruling does signify and I guess what it doesn't, uh, if I understand correctly, and you kind of alluded to this, uh, Chief Judge Reba found that the restrictions themselves are legal. In other words, the state has a right to say this curriculum is not up to par. This curriculum is not substantially equivalent. They could do that part, but then the enforcement part of it, that's the part where they're disguis- discussing the actual uh, curriculum requirements. But then how do we enforce that? We enforce that by saying that this yeshiva is not doing its job. Essentially, the judge is saying it's not the yeshiva's job. A parent can homeschool. A parent can find other ways. The, the yeshiva is doing nothing wrong if it offers an education. And by the way, that, that education is not up to our par because that's not on the yeshiva. The yeshiva is doing its thing. That's on the parents. And then it kind of redirects things, whereas the, the state was trying to crack down on yeshivas. The judge is saying the yeshivas are not doing anything wrong. If you want to crack down, it's the parents. 
it, it, it's slightly more nuanced than that. But yes, I, I, I would say it's not so much that the state um, uh, lost its enforcement mechanism, although that's that's obviously true. But but the, I think the way to think about it is that the yeshivas, you know, gained their independence, right? A school, a yeshiva remains a school even if the state says it's not substantially equivalent. Beforehand, they were going to say you're no longer a school. If you're no longer a school, you know, a parent can't end there. You know, the buses won't be provided, textbooks won't be provided, a whole range of, 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 of consequences. And, and, and what the court said was yeshiva is a school and the parent has the ultimate authority over the education, to direct the education and upbringing of their children. That, that's really a, a tremendously important thing. And, and, and so that's one piece yeah. of it. The other piece, is, the other piece of it is, yes, what the court, the court did not strike down the compulsory education requirements. Well, candidly, no court anywhere has, has, has done that yet. Um, um, what they find, as they found in this case, you know, in the cases that we like, they find that the state <laughs> has overstepped in, in, in the way it's trying to imply it. And so the court, you know, didn't um, strike down the, the compulsory education, education requirements, but they said it's not, it's, 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 it's not an obligation, as you said, Yaakov, it's not an obligation on, on schools. But there's really a, a deeper um, importance to even that piece of it, which, which is this. Um, you, you know, the, the, there's two aspects of, of the compulsory education requirement. There's, you know, what the law says and how the state would interpret or enforce it. And uh, let me give you an example, right? So, so, so the obligation to, to, to learn English, to learn how to read and write, is uh, a central component of the compulsory education law in New York and, and, and everywhere else. And, and, you know, most parents, you know, I think an overwhelming percentage of people in our community understand government's interest in ensuring that, that children, you know, um, get an education to learn how to read and write. Uh, what we saw, though, is after the regulations were enacted, one week afterwards, they were enacted, they went into effect on September 28th. On October 6th, which was the day of the Yom Kippur, the State Education Department issued a letter. Um, it issued a letter um, overturning New York City's um, conclusion that a specific yeshiva was substantially equivalent. The state said it's not equivalent. The state um, was using the new regulations, even though the yeshiva was, was reviewed and the city's recommendation was made. Wow. The conclusion was reached before those regulations were, were, were in effect. But in any event, the important thing is like this. They said when it came to English, what the city, what the state said was, your city, you said that they're equivalent, but we, the state, are not satisfied with the range of texts used by the yeshiva. And, you know, that goes well beyond the requirement to learn how to read and write. You know, I think most parents, uh, number one, want their children to learn how to read and write. And number two, most yeshiva parents, most private school parents, um, don't want the state determining what the range of texts used in that instruction is, right? You right. can think about our own community. Um, parents absolutely don't want government to say, not only do you have to learn how to read and write, these are the books you have to use to, 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 to do that teaching. Well, you know, reading and writing is... Um, is a skill that's that's necessary to navigate the world. But there are a lot of books out there, probably most books out there today, right, don't reflect the values that we want for our children. And so we absolutely, as parents, as yeshiva parents, don't want government telling us uh, that, 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 you know, they have the right to choose the range of texts. That's why we choose yeshivas, because we trust the administrators, the teachers, the principals 
in those yeshivas to choose, you know, to teach it in, in, in a way that respects and reflects the values we want for our children. That's one example. I'll give you another example. Um, right? The, the regulations say, um, you know, you need competent teachers. Well, everybody, I think, wants, you know, every school wants their teachers to be competent. Every parent wants their children to be taught by competent teachers. And, you know, there are a lot of ways to think about competence, right? Uh, how would you judge it? You look at the classroom, you'd see how the teacher conveys information, you'd see how the teacher connects with the children, you see how the children are interested in what the teacher offers, right? That's not what the state said. In the same October 6th letter, what the state said is we need to see the hiring and recruitment policies of the yeshiva. That's very, very dangerous ground, right? All of a sudden you're going to start getting questions. Um, how come there are only orthodox teachers? How come this school only has male teachers? That school only has female teachers? Right, the hiring and recruitment policies tell you nothing about whether the teacher is interesting. Interested, it has the ability to interest students in learning. Whether the kids are learning, it has everything though to do with control, right, over who gets up in front of our children in the classroom. Again, that's something yeshiva parents don't want the government to have any say in. Right now, under these regulations, now as the court interpreted it, because you know, so much of the obligation can be fulfilled by parents outside the school, these provisions, for example, become meaningless, right? You know, the, the, the state is not going to tell a parent, we want to control the range of texts you use. And we know that because there's a strong home homeschooling community in New York already outside the firm community. You know, more than 50,000 children are homeschooled. The state doesn't tell, you know, well, those yeah. parents what range of texts to use. Of course, in the teachers, right? You know, the, the parents are the teachers. Um, so, <laughs> so, so... Just by and number three, the state you know lost its its sort of death penalty right of 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 bending the schools to their will. So you know the you know if if we just have the language of teach teach you know you kid how to read and write. Well, most people can live with that, right? When you have the state nosing around in you know what text you use to to teach that and who stands up in the classroom to teach that, then you're in a whole different dangerous place. Very, very interesting. So, I mean, as you're saying, it really handcuffs in so many ways what, what the state wanted to do. I mean, once the state can't go into the yeshiva and start messing with the curriculum, I mean, the judge, if this ruling stands, the judge is basically saying, hands off. The, 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 the yeshiva is doing its job, and the, these types of nitty-gritty decisions or these types of decisions where you get involved in the actual you know, day-to-day curriculum, that is literally beyond the state's jurisdiction, overstepping, as you said. Yes, and again, I think it's really important for, for, for our community to understand this, this decision, not in terms of how it handcuffs or limits the state, although, you know, I'm not saying it's a practical matter that that's not accurate, but it's much more important to, to, to understand it in terms of how it, how it you know, um, uh, you know um, frees up our schools to, to operate according to their Missouri, according to their leadership. That's why parents choose the schools. There's obviously a large range of yeshivas for parents to choose from in New York, and everybody chooses for their children a yeshiva that reflects, right, the, the, the philosophy, the ideals, the values that that parent wants transmitted to their child. And what this decision says is, yeshiva, you can continue to do that free in the knowledge that you're a school and that the the state can't, can't all of a sudden say you're not a school. Right. That tells parents, parents, you, you know, you have the absolute right to say, my child's core educational experience should take place in this yeshiva. If, if something has to be supplemented later, we can deal with that. But the core right, you know, where's my child going to spend his 
or her school day, right? That's the bulk of their waking hours. It's going to be in the yeshiva of my choice, whether or not the state says that the secular studies at that yeshiva are substantially equivalent. Right. Excellent point. And I appreciate the nuance there in terms of that fundamental right and that fundamental ability that we are, you know, are so, that obviously is so crucial to us, to our, to, to the, to the from community and the yeshiva community. What about funding? Uh, obviously one of the, you know, big things the state holds over yeshivas is the funding that it provides. So how does this ruling potentially affect that? Right. So again, the, 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 the ruling was, was as clear, I think, as, as one could get. And, uh, and this is a quote on, uh, I think it's page 17 of the decision. And it says, you know, notably, the compulsory education law does not authorize or contemplate the imposition of penalties or other consequences upon a non-public school that has been found to not provide substantially equivalent instruction, period, close quote. So surely withholding, you know, any type of funding would be a penalty or other consequence, right? And the court yeah. has said that the, that the state is not authorized by law to impose such a um, such a penalty. So that's clearly huge. I so mean, I think it's, right. It's, sorry, finish the sentence. No, 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 please. It's very clear. Yes, I saw one story that interpreted this ruling and said something to the effect that you know this hampers the state ability to uh, control the curriculum of the yeshiva, the state will have to use other recourse, one of which might be to threaten the yeshivas to take away their funding. I mean, from what you're describing, the, the, the judge completely counteracted that. Yes, that, that's not what's going to happen. Listen, they'll, they'll you know, you know, whether or not they try to enforce directly against parents, I have my view on that. But, but again, it's it's much more fundamental in terms of what the court did and, and the protections we have. And, and let me explain it again in two ways as it relates to the education requirements, right? So let, let's go away now from penalties and funding and choice, and let's go to the education requirements. Yeah. And and let me make two points, right? So so number one is a, a lot of what bothered us in, in bringing the lawsuit was that the, 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 the were in the regulations, all these ancillary subjects, you know, New York State Constitution, New York State History, um, vehicle and traffic law, federal constitution, you know, whether or not somebody, you know, thinks it's, 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 it's good or important to, to learn that, as, you know, I think pretty much parents across the spectrum, you know, from, not from Jewish, not Jewish, th- that's not core education, right? You, you, you know, you talk about, about English and math and history, um, and, 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 you know, these things are at best ancillary or peripheral. Now, you know, again, we were seeing in this October 6th letter and, and elsewhere, the, the state saying, you know, show me your curriculum for all these subjects, and you know, it's a year by year thing. And not, not only is it a curriculum that you have to um, put in, according to the state, but by definition, because there's a limited amount of time in a school day, anything you add is going to take away, right, from Limudei Kodesh, which is what you know, which is why parents choose yeshivas. Well, you know, when the judge says here, parents have the same rights as homeschooling parents, which is what the judge says and gives a site for these same ancillary subjects, the homeschooling regulations. And we argue this in our papers, the homeschooling regulations say a parent has to cover them once in eight years. It's not an annual. Um, wow. It's not a subject that has to be inserted into the curriculum annually, which is what they were telling the yeshivas once in eight years. So a yeshiva, I mean, it's legitimately, whether it's the yeshivas, whether it's Torah Masora, whether it's pearls, right. They can prepare a booklet that covers all these ancillary topics Send it home to, to, to parents and say, as a guide, as a useful guide, to say, 
here's what you should cover outside of school, whatever it is, over the summer, once in eight years. Once in eight years, a parent has to do it. And and so, you know, that's that's a really um, that's a really important thing um, in terms of limiting the intrusion into the, the school day. And, and the second is, 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 is this. This is what the state tried to do here is, is essentially, you know, um, create a wholesale mechanism to assert its control, right? So it said, okay, every yeshiva is going to have to get a grade of either pass or fail on equivalence. And if the yeshiva gets a failing grade, they're going to have to turn over that parent list, and the parents are going to be told to move the kids elsewhere. And the court said you can't do that, right? You know, the parents have the right. Well, now, it's not just that you have to go to parents, but it's not a wholesale issue. And by that I mean, by that I mean this. You know, let's say they, go to, they look at a school, the state does, and it's, it's, a, it's an elementary school. It's got eight grades. And let's say it says, okay, you know, the reason it's not equivalent is because, you know, the seventh grade science curriculum is lacking and the eighth grade English curriculum is lacking and the fourth grade math curriculum is, lack, is lacking. I'm just making it up, right? Yeah. So, okay, first of all, what that says is that if you're a parent who has a kid in first, second, third, right, fifth or sixth grade, there's no problems. And even and even for for the parent whose child is in a grade, you know, where they identified one of the one of the problems, we identified one issue, one issue, right? You know, this subject or that subject. So you no longer go from okay, everything is terrible. Like it's it's no longer a binary. You're either equivalent or not. It's you know maybe this is an issue that has to be addressed. And so you you, right. you really undo you undo sort of the wholesale nature, and we see it in the media, right? Because if, if if they say a school's not equivalent, they give the impression, both the state and even worse, the media, the New York Times, right? It's like all or nothing, right? It's like if you if the state says you're not equivalent, it means you're not learning anything, right? And that's not true. I mean, every parent knows that in every other context, right? Your child can can need more help somewhere. The school could be lacking. Your own child could be lacking. Everybody knows if a child is is lacking in one subject, they may excel in another subject. Um, and it's the same thing with schools. And what this does is take away that narrative of if you're not equivalent, you're teaching nothing and you're, you're just bad and nefarious. And, and so it really has, has very deep implications for how, you know, people talk about this and think about this. And even if you have to improve something, right, however a parent can do it. I mean, there are communities in Brooklyn where after school programs are very common to, to, to provide certain, you know, um, instruction or certain focus on on secular studies. Um, so those parents are dealing with it that way. There are parents who provide who arrange for tutors. Those parents are provide are, ad, are addressing it in a second way, right? Some parents might do some 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 you know homeschooling themselves. That's being addressed in a third way. Obviously, some yeshivas are going to have a more robust whole secular studies program than others. That's a fourth way. I'm sure creative people will come up with fifth and sixth ways. <laughs> But it takes the state out of this business. Really, really excellent points that you're making and, you know, shedding so much light on this, things that we were not able to gain at all, you know, from the, the media reporting on this. Um, what about parents? You alluded to this earlier. I guess the next step that you know, one would potentially look at is, okay, so the state can't do those things to the yeshivas, but the parents who are sending kids to yeshivas who are not supplementing in other ways, they could be the target. So what are your thoughts on that? I mean, listen. I I, I don't want to, you know, pr- predict. I think, I think the, um, the 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 likelihood of of the state sending out, you know, agents everywhere. Well, first of all, the state itself, I don't believe, has the state education department itself doesn't have any enforcement authority over parents if it found 
somehow that a parent was lacking, it would have to try to make a referral to another agency, you know, a local agency. And it's just, uh, you know, it, it's fairly far-fetched. Again, um, I, I'm not saying people can't, you know, gin up situations in which a conflict could arise, but in the real world, they said there are currently 55,000 homeschool kids in the state. And the number of problems that exist, the number of cases that you see, the number of real, con- the, the, the amount of real conflict, the controversy that you see is, is, is minimal to the point of almost non-existent. And, and I think if, 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 if somehow, you know, yeshiva parents are being treated differently than others in, 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 in the homeschool context, you know, we'd, we'd, we'd have a place to turn to, to, to complain. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. so I'm hopeful, I'm hopeful that, that yeshiva parents will be treated the same way as the Currently, 55,000 parents <laughs> who are homeschooling their children. That would open up a huge can of worms for the state, obviously, yeah. So in your interactions, Judge Reba, uh, d- did you feel like she was sympathetic to the yeshivas? In other words, did you get that impression? Were you surprised by this ruling, or did you feel like she really was trying to give the yeshivas the freedom that she appears to be giving? I, I think we, 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 we have um, always believed that— if we get a fair hearing, we get a fair result. You know, in the court of a public opinion, we don't get a fair hearing and we get beat up. Yeah. Right in the court of law, we get a fair hearing and therefore we got a, a good result. And, you know, this is a point that, that we made, you know, I think that there's, you know, the, the opening paragraphs of, of, of our papers, you know, talked about the, the radical transformation of these regulations because it was taking, it's taking a compulsory education requirement on parents underlined and instead imposing it on schools underlined and so you know we 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 she has previously shown herself as someone who's willing to be skeptical of of the government doesn't mean she's anti-government and pro-plaintiff it means she's willing willing to look at each issue fairly and ask questions and be skeptical of of uh of action that she thinks might be overreach and, you know, we, we, we were before Judge Reba in 2019 when we challenged the, the guidelines that were imposed by the previous state education commissioner, and she ruled in our favor then. And, uh, you know, we're, we're grateful again that, that, you know, we got the fair hearing that we know we're entitled to, but sometimes when there's so much noise from the court of public opinion, you know, you're worried about whether, you know, you'd get a fair hearing, but we always knew with a fair hearing, we'd get a fair result. Right. And as judging by the merits, I mean, that seems like to be in a lot of ways what exactly what happened over here and the merits of the cases in a lot of ways speak for themselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what is the net? So I assume that the state, like, it's a simplistic question, but, you know, technically the way some of the media reporting that I saw about this is, well, you know, she didn't strike down the regulations. So technically speaking, there's no clear-cut victory. I mean, I assume that the state is viewing this as a big blow, and and we are and you you get enormous congratulations and praise for obviously it was a, a big victory in a lot of ways. It, the next step is an appeal, I assume. I mean, by the state, by I the mean, state, we'll, we, yeah. we'll have we'll have to wait and see what the state does. I mean, you know, um, the uh, um, uh, obviously they're not, they're not discussing. They're, I'm not privy to their internal <laughs> right, discussions right. about what they do. Right. Um, I meant more specu- uh, you know, speculative. People, yeah, there's a question people think about, and and I don't know. They have 30 days to, to decide, um, and I assume they use those 30 days. Surely, you know, we hope that that they, you know, um, you know, stop stop fighting with the yeshiva community and just you know turn to to, to education, which is what everybody is supposed to be caring about, right? We would love 
you know, if if the fighting would stop and 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 the focus could be on the education, um, but you know that's not in our hands, right? We've been we've been on the receiving end of the fight for 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 for, for a long time, and uh, all we can do is is uh, is hope and continue to pray that uh, that you know the the, the state decides yeah. not to continue fighting. And exactly, and like you said, it's been a fight. We've been targeted, and sadly, like you said, the tragedy in all this is. They're taking education and weaponizing it. They're, they're using education as a way of attacking a community and politicizing something which should be about the kids, and it's the last thing that it's about. And I guess my last question, and re- related to that, and you alluded to this earlier as well, we've discussed this in the past, the New York Times and the, you know their literally crusade, as many people have described it, against yeshivas, against Haredim, against Hasidim. Uh, I, they, as far as I'm aware, did they not even report on this? I don't know. I mean, maybe you, like me, don't read the Times cover to cover, but uh, clearly somehow this story not getting anywhere near the attention of all the negativity and all the really fake stories. The, the, the Times has not reported this at all. And in wow. fact, there was a, a really a really excellent editorial by the New York Sun on, on Thursday or Friday. And it's uh, the title of the story of, in the Sun is The Yeshiva Story The Times Deems Unfit to Print. And the, oh. and the son calls out, <laughs> you know, the Times for ignoring, and this is a quote, the decision of a court to upend the campaign against religious day schools. Right? So the son gets it. This is what it did. It, it, they call the court decision. The son does the most important development in yeshiva education all year. Right. And, and yet, and yet wow. the Times is, is ignoring it. Totally ignoring it. Um, yeah. And so it's, it's it, it, I, I think, um, I, I think, you know, the, uh, the Times violence here, the Times ignoring it, reveals much more about the Times than it does about anything else. And uh, I'll say this, and I think it's a, it's a, it's a shame, but, you know, the Times uh, on this issue since September has been on a single-minded pursuit to win a Pulitzer Prize. And they have treated the yeshiva community, yeshiva parents, yeshiva children, and yeshivas as roadkill in their, you know, you know, single-minded pursuit to win that prize, and and they've you know they've lied, they've mischaracterized, they've taken out of context, you know, so much that we know to be true about yeshivas, um, just so they can win that that darn prize, <laughs> and uh, it's just a crying shame. It is. It's disgraceful. It's absolutely disgraceful, and no other, no no other way to describe it. It's so it's so blatant. I mean, it just their 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 vicious hatred. <laughs> no other way to describe it. it. It's not journalism. I mean, you know, it, it's it's um, it's pretty strange when you want to own the yeshiva beat, and there's a decision of this magnitude that doesn't fit with your narrative and doesn't advance your story. And so the, the reaction is to, okay, we'll ignore it as if it didn't happen. Exactly. I mean, what does that tell you about everything else? What does that reveal about any fact that came ac- across their desk, that came to their attention during all the reporting of the prior stories, right? What we know now, what they've revealed in no uncertain terms, right? They're obviously aware of this court decision. Um, it, it's been 10 days. And what they say is a fact that's contrary to the narrative we're pushing, we ignore well, imagine what that means in their reporting and their writing and construction of all the prior stories, right? We now know they ignore facts that do not further their narrative. Yeah. So how much of that was done in all the prior stories? I, I don't know if the members of the Pews Committee listen to your podcast. They surely should. <laughs> but I definitely hope that they, 
I definitely hope that they that they consider this point. Right. Well, if they do, I'll have to question if maybe I'm doing something wrong. But uh, yeah, I agree with you. <laughs> they should listen. It's 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 unbelievable. Yeah, it's exposed. You, you said it perfectly. I mean, this exposes that the, the, nothing they say could be relied on as as having any relation to fact. Any relation to fact is purely coincidental. All right, Avi Shik, renowned attorney. I really appreciate, among many other things, that when we speak, you break down the nuances of these rulings. In ways like that are very high level, but like laymen like myself and you know others you know can understand and appreciate. So it's just a wonderful, wonderful job. Well, thank you. I I, I appreciate the uh, you know the attention that you bring um, to your craft and and the fact that you you know have created this uh, important vehicle for uh, members of our community to uh, t- to learn about what's going on. Thank you. No, we absolutely do try. And congratulations, because this is a big win. You've worked so hard, and uh, you, you deserve an enormous amount of uh, credit and uh, gratitude on behalf of our community. Thank you. Renowned attorney Avi Shik, a leader in the Frum and the Yeshiva battle uh, on the VIN News podcast.